The Kakadu Plum is an Australian native superfood containing 100 times more vitamin C than oranges. So why have you never heard of it? PR. No one's drinking a Kakadu smoothie? I'm JB Smooth, and that was a full episode of my new podcast, Straightforward. Inspired by guaranteed straightforward pricing from AT&T Fiber. Get what you want without the complicated. AT&T Fiber, live like a gagillionaire. Available wherever you get your podcast. Limited availability in select areas. Visit at and slash hypergig for details. This is your moment, your time to shine, your comeback. You're ready for the next step in your career, and you want an education employer's respect. So you're not just going back to school. You're coming back with Purdue Global. Backed by Purdue University, one of the nation's most respected public universities, Purdue Global is built for people who bring their life experience into the online classroom. Purdue Global, Purdue's online university for working adults. Start your comeback today at purdueglobal.edu. Episode 285, How Your Parents' Finances Affect You and What to Do Next. Welcome to the Frugal Friends Podcast, where you'll learn to save money, money, embrace simplicity, and live a richer life. Here are your hosts, Jen and Jill. Welcome to the Frugal Friends Podcast. My name is Jen. My name is Jill. And today we are talking about a subject that you don't know you need. You may know you, you, you probably it. do because you clicked yeah, on this. You right. you said, "Ooh, that's probably going to be a hot take." Mm-hmm. I don't want to look at this, but I probably should. And you couldn't stop yourself. Yeah. So this is a topic that Jill and I are actually super passionate about, and it's not talked about a lot in personal finance because it's not sexy. Honestly, it's a very like, it's very hot water. It's very towing lines. It's very awkward. And so we are going to brace all of that and take all of that into consideration as we talk about how our parents affected our grown-up interpretations and relationships with money and also how that affects our legitimate tangible savings plan too. So it's not just about like, what has it done to me? But what am I going to have to do in response to it? Mm -hmm. For my own finances, but also, does there need to be a consideration for how I care for my parents as they age? What have they set up for themselves? Are there conversations, uncomfortable but necessary conversations that need to happen? So take in two different angles and perspectives Mm -hmm. here and buckle up. Yeah, this is going to be required listening for all frugal friends. And if you don't know you need it now, uh, you will by the end of the episode. This episode is brought to you by the three-day spending makeover. Mm-hmm. <laughs> if you if you are tired of busting your budget every month or you're going to add a caretaker sinking fund to your budget and you need to find money for that, then check out our free three-day spending makeover. By the end of three days, we want you to know what you value spending on, learn strategies for saying no to things you don't, and create a plan for guilt-free spending that won't leave you broke, but actually leave you space uh, to be able to care for the people that you love most or to afford to have other people care for the people that you love most, whatever is in your boat. Uh, So if that sounds like something you need right now, head to frugalfriendspodcast.com slash makeover to get that three-day challenge for free. Yay. Woo. So fun. Yeah. So we haven't talked about this in quite some time. This is a direct follow-up to episode 62, talking about your parents' finances with them. Um, And we interviewed Cameron Huddleston, who is the industry expert on this. Her mom was diagnosed with Alzheimer's, and they were not able to have the conversation about money before her mom's memories started deteriorating. And so all of these things came up um, that she was not prepared for, Cameron wasn't, and her mom wasn't able to prepare her for at that stage in life. And so Cameron wrote a whole book called Mom and Dad, We Need to Talk about how to talk to your parents 
about their finances with respect, with honor. And it's just, it's a fantastic book. Required reading for sure. So check out episode 62. Cue that up for after this. But now we're at episode 285. So it's been, there's been a little time. I had no idea it's been that long. But yeah, that that interview was excellent. We received a lot of really great feedback on it. It really prompted a lot of people to do the hard thing. And hopefully this episode will do similarly. Mm -hmm. Yes. She really challenged me to get documents set up for my mom since I'm an only child so that I could be like power of attorney and get her medical like um, information like when that time comes. So I, that gives me a lot of peace of mind that that stuff's already set up for me and I don't have to worry about it or wait till it's too late. So like, yes, she's she's fantastic. And um, it's a it's a topic we don't want to think about. Right. But according to a study by AARP, 46 percent of caregivers are between the ages of 18 and 49. So that's almost half of caregivers are under 50. Um, And the same study suggests that the average age of a person receiving care is roughly 69. So did some calculations. And so by these measures, it could be concluded that a mother who gives birth at 29, which is scary because I'm 30, I, I gave birth at 30 and I'm about to give birth at 33. So a person who gives birth at 29, which is just above the average age in the U.S., would likely need some sort of care by the time their child turns 40. So this is not just something that we're doing for self-preservation, but also for our children in the future so that we're more aware of the things that they need to know just for some kinds of prep. And we already know, we've talked about before, like the average retirement age just changed. It's, and now I can't remember the new number, but it is, it is 63-ish. And the average age people say they want to retire is 67. And so that number is not less because people are surprised pleasantly by how much they have saved for retirement. And then like, oh, I can retire five years earlier. It's because they're leaving for some kind of health reason, there's some kind of layoff, or they're leaving to care for a family member. Like Those are the three main reasons. So this is a really important one to listen to. And so, yeah, I'm going to stop selling it now. (laughs) Yes. So this first article we're going to get into comes from Psychology Today, and this is now we're beginning with the perspective of how did our parents' views on and approaches to money impact us and our views on and approaches to money. Really appreciated this article. I I think Psychology Today does put out some, some great articles, and they're also a great mm-hmm. resource for finding a therapist in your area. Side note, if you're looking for a counselor, they've got a great search database. Anyhow, I really appreciate how they've described that our attitudes towards money, our approaches to money is formed over a lifetime. And this is similar to anything else as far as worldview and approach. It's formed over a lifetime. Certainly our parents have an effect on that. So this is definitely not a guilt and shaming episode because each one of us are children, even if we're adult children, and many of us have children. (laughs) So the circle of life goes on and there are positive, great beneficial ways that children are impacted by parents. And there are some some detrimental, difficult ways that children are affected by parents. Both are true at the same time. And so there can be really great things that are instilled around money and some not very helpful things. And so that's that's kind of the framework we want to put on this. It doesn't all have to be hung on parents of they did an awful job, but there it is always worth looking at what were you taught in childhood, because that is a very foundational piece of what we carry into adulthood, especially if we don't look at it. Any of these things can be reworked, rewired, new patterns and cycles can come into place, but we have to first look at the foundational pieces to know what needs to be reworked. Mm-hmm. How did the article hit you, Jen? 
Yeah, I I really interpret it as like these are I think whenever you have a child, you're never going to raise them perfectly. Like we always try to, but there's never a perfect parent for every child. Like you could have three different children and have actually like three different human beings and you're prob- and you're not going to know how to parent three different human beings exactly as they need to be parented. And so you are going to come out of your, you know, child parent relationship with some maybe like negative scripts on not just money, but we're focusing on money. So it's important to do the best we can with what we've got. And I think you can't go back in time. So you might as well identify what's going on right now to figure out how to best get through it for you and also to have grace for your parents who really thought they were doing the best that they could and really were doing the best they could to just cultivate some grace, forgiveness, and more love for what they were doing and probably understand why they were doing it. Yeah. So this article primarily goes through what they're calling money scripts. And this is a term coined by financial psychologists, Brad and Ted Klontz. They both have the same last name. I'm not sure what the relation is. Their father and son. (laughs) There you go. Yeah. (laughs) And they wrote a book called Mind Over Money, where they talk about money scripts, which are underlying assumptions or beliefs about money that are typically only partially true and are often developed in childhood and then unconsciously followed throughout adulthood. Really appreciated these different money scripts that they highlighted here. So I think it's worth going through each of them. Yeah. The first one that they identify, there's four of them. The first one is money worship. So people who have this money script often believe that money buys happiness and love to flaunt their money. They obsess over money and they feel like they never have enough. Now, again, I want to highlight what they've already said in this article that it's not necessarily all true about you or even consciously are you aware of this money script. Many times it's kind of of underlying in the background below the surface. But there can be people with this money script of this is what's going to make bring me happiness. I, I want to show off my money. I feel like I'm never going to have enough money. That can be a money script. Mm-hmm. And the next one is is similar, but it's money status. And so whereas money worship believes money buys happiness, Money status is um, people who who view their net worth as their self-worth. And I think this, for me, is kind of where I, in an unhealthy state, I very much revert to. And it's not that my, this wasn't my parents. This is a direct, like, trying to go the opposite way of my parents, So you may not get where you are as a direct result of what your parents did, but as a direct result of trying to be the opposite of them. Yeah, that's a good point. And this is definitely, for me, what I feel like in an unhealthy state, I can compare my net worth to others and feel a lack of self-worth because it's not where theirs are. Maybe I'm not doing enough. And... They also say these people want the best quality products and may overspend to look like they have more money than they do. And that's out of pure like insecurity over what their self-worth is. So this is money status is a a compensation for self-worth that's not found where it should be. Mm hmm. The third money script is money avoidance. So people with this money script will uh, want to typically avoid money altogether. They may associate the concept of money with fear, disgust, or even anxiety. They may have a belief that money is the root of all evil, like having money is greedy, it's awful. They may view wealthy people as (laughs) greedy and believe 
it's better to have less money. Uh, it's interesting as I've kind of thought through each of these, I can I can think of examples in my mind, and it's not always so overt. Again, like they would be able to identify this, but in some of the behaviors that happen, you can see some of the subconscious underlying money script that's happening. So that's what money avoidance is. Mm -hmm. And then the last is money vigilance. And so these people are uh, have a vigilant focus and they say are more frugal. But I don't I don't like to associate us with certain money scripts, but they do say the focus is on saving their money and believe you need to work hard to earn money. And so they make this one sound like the best one when honestly, this this is where. You have parents that hoard money that never uh, allowed you, like made four siblings share one soda and (laughs) not because they were, you know, didn't have the money just because they were like, so quote unquote frugal, which is Travis. (laughs) I remember that is a thing that uh, Travis's parents did. Four kids had to share one soda. Hey, that's less sugar, though. I mean, that's kind of a win-win. I don't disagree. Okay. My mom added water to my juice to dilute it. And I feel like if I had kids, I would do that, too. Yeah. But so depriving, like, deprivation out of fear and hoarding, trying to hoard money, working very hard because... And this is very much where the scarcity mindset one is. So money vigilance is essentially the family who grew up with a scarcity mindset where we have to hoard all of our money. We can't spend it. We can't use it to enjoy. And that can cause more often than not people to go in the opposite direction. Like that is what Mm -hmm. I see more than, than passing down frugal tendencies to people is people just scarred by like viewing money as bad to spend. And that's not frugal. That said, though, this article does reference that when they did a study on these different money scripts, of the four money beliefs, money vigilance was the only behavior not linked to problematic financial behaviors. The other three were linked to potentially destructive ones. And I just, I don't know. I'm sure. Okay. Also, there's sample size with 422 people. So I like to see a sample size of at least a thousand Mm -hmm. when I'm citing a study. Mm -hmm. Just for frame of reference, Mm -hmm. if you are ever looking at a study and there are fewer than a thousand people, be skeptical. Um, Unless it's a very, very targeted, like very niche survey. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. But yeah, I feel like it doesn't matter. All of these can have very good and very bad outcomes for the children who experience them. Yeah, the interesting thing to me, this is not talked about in the article, but it does seem to me as though each of these money scripts hold a relatively destructive, not super healthy outlook and Mm -hmm. probably correlated behaviors, which I suppose highlights the reality that a healthy relationship with money and financial behaviors needs to be cultivated, that we most likely were not born or raised with a perfectly curated view on money. Chances are we've got some sort of outlook or experience that has shaped things that need to be kind of honed in, some growth edges that are present that mm-hmm. we need to kind of sand down a bit. And there's there's hope in that, I think, to realize, all right, what are maybe some of the unhelpful beliefs that I have about money? How has that been instilled in me throughout childhood? What do I carry with me into adulthood? And how can I reorient redirect some of those things to aim at health and well-being. I really, I do truly disagree that only money vigilance created healthy, like there are so many people doing destructive financial things because their parents were like money hoarders. And so many of the people we talk to in personal finance are where they are today and doing great things with their money because they saw the destruction not being responsible did to their parents. Like 
that to me is more common than than the alternative. Yeah, I think what I got from it is that there are there are some that could be more destructive than others. Yes. That like if we were to view this as a spectrum, there could be some money scripts that lead to more destructive behaviors than others. Not to say that each of them are healthy, but I think recognizing what does this mindset or perspective lead to in my financial decisions? And and some might have larger consequences mm-hmm. than others. Yeah. I think if we're looking at this in thinking like, okay, this happened to me. This is who I am. How do I break the cycle moving forward? I think more than just like identifying money scripts, it's being honest and open about money. I think in order to be honest and open about money, like with your children or whoever is younger in your life that you want to pass on this wisdom to, knowing these money scripts and knowing why you you have the point of view that you do and knowing that there are other points of view that are just as valid or just as destructive that they are out there, I think that will help you be the most honest and open about money knowing that your money script is not the only money script and that it's not um, knowing what's rooted in truth and what's not rooted in truth. So I think just being aware of that so that you can not keep it to yourself, but pass it on Mm -hmm. to other people. Yeah. So then the the article kind of wraps up and saying, all right, now what do we do as a result of these different approaches or understandings about money? And one of the things that can be done that they talk about here is to think about a situation or behavior you often engage in around money. What's a common experience with money that you have? And then to ask yourself the following questions. First, what are the feelings or emotions or even physical sensations you get as a result of that behavior or that situation? What is stirred in you emotionally, psychologically, psychosomatically? What what is happening inside of you? And then to be able to identify with that as a result, what do I think might be my money script? of the four of these. And and maybe there's a combination. Maybe you you've happened to identify a fifth money script. That's all fine. We <laughs> we, we can be to see here, but what do you think is the underlying message that's happening there? And then what could be an alternative script or behavior or action that you could implement instead of maybe the behavior or action or mindset that's currently being implemented? This is certainly identifying patterns and cycles. This could also be drawn out even in a kind of like a circular way. If you're a visual person, being able to use a piece of paper and talk about what starts it, what's the action or situation that begins this money behavior or outlook on money, what comes next, what comes next, what comes next around the circle, and identifying where in that cycle can I interrupt this with what type of thought or behavior could interrupt this cycle? What is the thing that I want to aim at here instead so that I can experience a different outcome? in this cycle. This is going to take time. This is not going to happen in a day. And suddenly this is all resolved. And really, probably this money script will never go away. I like how you referenced earlier, Jen, in in my unhealth, this is what I tend towards. We will all have that. Whatever your money script is, it will probably be carried with you for the rest of life. It's just a matter of how can I actively be aware of that and interrupt it so that that's not the script that I'm actively living out of, but can find better alternatives for myself. Yeah. My favorite part about spring cleaning is that post-clean clarity when I'm like, wow, I can finally think clearly. How was I functioning in that mess before? It's kind of like when you find out you've been paying a fortune for wireless when Mint Mobile has phone plans for $15 a month when you purchase a three-month plan. If this sounds like the type of spring cleaning your finances need right now, then it's time to switch to Mint Mobile and get unlimited talk, text, and data for $15 a month. All plans come with high-speed data and unlimited talk and text delivered on the nation's largest 5G network. Plus, you can use your own phone with any Mint Mobile plan and bring your phone number along with all your existing contacts. 
To get this new customer offer and your new three-month unlimited wireless plan for just 15 bucks a month, go to mintmobile.com slash frugal. That's mintmobile.com slash frugal. Cut your wireless bill to 15 bucks a month at mintmobile.com slash frugal. $45 upfront payment required equivalent to $15 a month. New customers on first three-month plan only. Speed slower above 40 gigabytes on unlimited plan. Additional taxes, fees, and restrictions apply. See Mint Mobile for details. I don't love creating my spending plan each month, and it took me a while to find a budgeting app that had simple features but didn't feel and look like a spreadsheet. If that's you too, Monarch's the way to go. Monarch is the top-rated all-in-one personal finance app. It gives you a comprehensive view of all of your accounts, investments, transactions, and more. Create custom budgets, track progress toward financial goals, and collaborate with your partner. And now get an extended 30-day free trial when you go to monarchmoney.com slash frugal. I like how easy it is to customize my budget and create automatic transaction rules. The transaction widget helps me stay on top of my spending. After using Monarch for several months, I understand why it's the top rated personal finance app. And right now, listeners of this show will get an extended 30-day free trial when you go to monarchmoney.com slash frugal. That's M-O-N-A-R-C-H M-O-N-E-Y.com slash frugal. For your extended 30-day free trial, go to monarchmoney.com slash frugal for an extended 30-day free trial. I think that pretty much sums up this article. So you can kind of get a feel for, okay, this is maybe why my parents are where they are. And again, give them grace because they probably got their money script from their parents and it is just a cycle that perpetuates. And now we're going to look at an article that says what to do if your parents were not money vigilant, I guess. <laughs> if you were any if you had any other type of parent besides the money vigilant kind, they probably didn't save for their future. They probably did not they were, you know, struggling with self-worth and spending on expensive things. They were trying to buy happiness. They were trying to avoid having money for whatever that looks like. Those are very generalized terms. But so if your parents were one of those, they probably didn't save for retirement. And that affects you. Mm-hmm. You don't want it to. And it shouldn't. But it does. Because <laughs> it does and it will. And we're all yeah. feeling it. We social security is a thing. And yes, your parents will probably get it. But there are expenses that go above and beyond that. And there are emergencies you cannot plan for. And there are just regular expenses that come up with age that when some expenses from our youth leave, these expenses replace them. And we don't always plan for them. So now we're going to look at some practical things to do if your parents didn't save for retirement. What did you think of this, Jill? As we both have parents who may, you know, this article may hit close to home for both of us. I really appreciated this one. I thought it was really helpful in filling in the gaps because we don't know what we don't know. We could have Mm -hmm. a sense of, yes, I want to have a conversation with my parents, but I'm still figuring out my own personal finances. I'm not of retirement age yet. So it's almost like playing catch up with my own self, but then also what needs to be considered for the loved one in my life who is of retirement age. And if they didn't know what they were doing, then how do we help to collaborate and prompt and ensure that there is quality of life as our parents age? So I think this article did a really great job of kind of scratching the surface, but giving this kind of good overview of here's what you need to consider. Yeah, because again, that AARP study where almost half of caregivers are younger than 50 is crazy. That is not so. Yeah. And most people do not work until their desired retirement age. Yeah. Which, I mean, the, the, 
this is our listenership. Yeah. You all, again, you probably clicked on this because you're feeling it because our listenership is that 18 to 45. You're probably caregiving. So mm-hmm. here we go. We're with you. So this article from The Balance, which is titled, What to Do If Your Parents Didn't Save for Retirement, references that up to half of all adults between the ages of 55 and 65 have no meaning zero, retirement savings, according to the U.S. Census Bureau. And we all know that not everybody responds to the U.S. Census. So <laughs> let's just assume that this let's number just assume is they, higher than Yeah, this. if they did not respond, they probably did not <laughs> Don't save have for retirement, retirement either. <laughs> it's the s- same demographic. <laughs> <laughs> these, these people just reject all organized things. <laughs> and they're living off the grid and like more power to them. Good for them. Yeah. But still they <laughs> fall in the category. <laughs> oh man, we make ourselves <laughs> laugh. <laughs> so we all, we're going to feel this in some way, shape or form, even if it's just helping our parents to get in order the things that they have already set up. If you are in the amazing situation where your parents have done very well, you're still, there's still going to most likely be some involvement as adult children for our aging parents. So all of this is worth considering. And they do give some helpful pointers on where to begin. And that is just having a conversation. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And so this is where that episode with Cameron Huddleston will really help. We dive a lot into how to have the conversation respectfully with honor, because if your parent has not saved anything for retirement or has not saved enough, there's probably going to be some shame around that. They are not going to be proud of that. They are not going to be happy about the position that they are potentially putting you in. And they're not going to want to talk about it. And so, and and I know this from experience. So it is definitely a conversation to tread lightly, to avoid shame, blame, feelings, avoid making this about you. And really hone in on the fact that like, hey, let's let's just start talking about your financial details so that we so I can help you as much as I can. And I can let you know how much I can help you if you let me know where you are. Some parents aren't going to want help. And so in that case, you've got to change up the conversation a little more and just be like, hey, we want to know what... (laughs) That's going to be such a light (laughs) tread for parents that will refuse help. But also to say like, I hey, there are going to be forms that I need um, to have filled out. If for forever, some reason you end up in the hospital and I want to be able to find out what's wrong with you. We're going to need to have some just legal documents signed and notarized. That's maybe a very low barrier to entry thing to be like very practical. They're helping you, but not. In, um, yeah, you're they feel like they're helping you. Mm-hmm. Um, and so like to not dive into the financial stuff right at first, but maybe think of maybe some lower barrier to entry conversations you can have. Yeah. Or and, and just, yeah, like open ended conversations like how saving for retirement going. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that can kind of give you because there, there's a range, there's a spectrum here of what information needs to be gathered, how much you may already know, how much you don't know. And so depending on where you're at with your parents, what communication looks like, what you do and don't know, you're going to have to identify what those questions are going to be. But if you know nothing, then yeah, what does retirement savings look like for you? That's that's a great place to start. Yeah, But I think similar to how we're not going to reorient our own personal finances in a 24-hour time span, it's not going to happen with our parents very quickly. And so I think we really need to, as adult children, tread carefully, but also recognize that this is a hopefully a little bit of a long game. And mm-hmm. hopefully, if you start early enough, you've got time to space this out. Recognize and don't come in with like, 
hot, hot, hot fire thinking all of this is going to get figured out in one sitting, but pace yourself and say, here's the most, what's the most important thing? And it's probably going to be figuring out power of attorney and what happens in a medical crisis and to keep going from there as you get some of these things figured out and to there and your comfort level. Mm-hmm. At and the end you, of the day, they're grown adult humans. Yes. And so if they don't want to let you into this space, then we cannot pry. No. And if you go in hot, it will backfire on you and make this whole process take so much longer. Trust me. And another thing you could also do, and I think this is probably for the parent that won't accept help. This is probably where I would start is just ask them for help. You may not need the help ask them, what do you think about 401k? What should I do about 401k? Ask them questions you already know the answer to. (laughs) Like, what should I do about an IRA? What do you think about IRAs? What is it like an index fund? Ask them, get the answers and then ask them questions already knowing the answers. That's not going to work for us. We have a personal finance podcast. But it could work for you. It could work (laughs) for you listening. And then you kind of get, I mean, once they answer, you kind of can get a feel for where they're at just by their answers. Mm -hmm. So if you're looking for a real low barrier to entry way to start, ask them for help that you don't really need. Yeah. I think to recognize that who the messenger is, is important. Mm-hmm. So it is <laughs> <Yes>. very possible <laughs> that we are not the best ones, but it's also very possible we will be the ones. Yes. <laughs> we may be, be the only ones. We are care. the ones. We are definitely not the best ones. So there could be a scenario where you begin to broach this conversation, you come up against a wall, but you at least pass along resources and say, well, here is where my understanding is, is a good place to begin, or here's the things that would be good to have set up. Maybe even where where your parents could go to have these phone calls. Is there someone Mm -hmm. else? Is there a professional that they might trust? to have these things set up. And you just say, could you get these things set up by the time you are age, whatever, and just give me the information for it if if you trust me to do it. Maybe there's another sibling that's better to handle these things. Yeah. If you're not an only child. Sorry, Jen. Yeah, it's fine. Okay. So once you've had the conversation, depending started, on how that went, start, you, started, you started, started the decade-long conversation. <laughs> You opened that door, and hopefully it's a door that you opened, or maybe a window and not a floodgate. Let's maybe make sure it's not a floodgate. it open with a towel. Yeah, to keep it open. (laughs) Then the next thing that could be considered is talking about a retirement budget. And essentially what that is, is a retirement spending plan or considering how much is retirement going to cost. And so this is definitely going to be a conversation where you've got adult children and parents who are very open about talking about these things. So if this is you, here we go. We're going to keep moving through this. Writing out a budget should include looking at retirement income. So what is going to be brought in from an estimated Social Security? Is there a pension? Is there income that can be generated from savings or retirement accounts? Do they have a 401k, IRA, Roth IRA, taxable investment accounts? annuities. What are we talking about here? Where are they held? What could retirement income look like? Really important place to start for all of us. What about liquid retirement savings? What available resources for investing are there that could be used for expenses or ongoing income needs? And of course, what are the monthly expenses going to look like? This of All of this is going to be an estimate, especially as far as monthly expenses go. We don't know exactly what the future is going to hold. We don't know really what exactly your parents' life expectancy is going to be. You can take an educated guess and also include inflation, right? I think that that's like one of the biggest mistakes that the fire movement (laughs) at least previously made. Sorry to knock on the fire movement, but it just seems like inflation was never accounted for there. Not at this rate. 
let's consider that. But what, and, and we don't want to say, okay, mom, how many lattes do you hope to buy in your retirement? Like, that's not what we're looking at here. We want to look at the biggest expenses of housing, healthcare, transportation, and food, just like for our own selves. We want to look at the heavy hitters. This is what's going to make up 60 to 70% of a retiree's budget. So we need to consider these important costs. And then beyond that, of course, insurance, personal care, travel, we can certainly be looking back at what is the trend of spending in the past? What does that look like for the future? Where can things be cut? We don't have to do all of the work here. And actually, I would encourage all of us not to. Again, we've got adult parents. This is just a part of the conversation. These are the things that we should be looking at. Part of it, while we don't want to make it about us, is definitely having an understanding of, okay, if there's not enough money here, what does that mean for me as your child and potential caretaker? What gaps might I need to be filling in here? What do I need to be considering what do you want from me as the parent in this scenario? And, and what can I reasonably give to you in this situation? But all of this will be helpful in recognizing the expenses and the income that could be coming in during retirement. Yeah. And a lot of people will take for granted what their expenses will be. They will think, oh, I've got this, but it's going to go down by like one or two grand a month in retirement. And it might drop a little bit, but you you really have to be cognizant of other expenses that come up. So like, yes, your parents may pay off their house and expect to only owe taxes. But what if something happens and they need to go to assisted living or even nursing home care, which is very expensive. So while you may not need to save for the worst case scenario, you do need to save something for maybe like a middle bad case scenario. And also recognize that property taxes go up as well. Yeah. yeah. In Um, my scenario, they nearly double (laughs) (laughs) in like the span of two years. Yeah. So, so yeah, we, we do need to be thinking about this stuff because a lot of the times our parents will not want to think about it. And it's not something to dwell on. It's just something or, or to think about all the time. This is really something that you can think about once a year. Honestly, just think about it once a year. Make sure things are in line with you. Make sure you're updated on the you know ambiguity of your parents' situation. And uh, because if you pry too much, they may lie to you. So it is better to have ambiguous information than to have false information. Don't ask me how I know that. At least an ability to know where to find stuff uh-huh. you know, in yeah. the event that that there. And I think if there is some barriers in this conversation, I think that could be a good entryway point, too, of just in the event of a crisis, where is the information that I need to have? What do you want me to know in the event that you are not able to advocate for yourself? I think nearly any person is going to want someone in their corner given that situation. So at least, at least that. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Um, And the last ones I'll mention are kind of two in encourage your parents to minimize debt. Honestly, these are grown adults and they are going to do what they want to do. And they're probably not going to listen to their child on like telling them what to do. Again, you may be the only person who cares, but you are the wrong person. (laughs) You are not the person that they are probably going to listen to. And that stinks. Like it's... And then and it is this is payback. This is retribution for all the times they told you what to do and you didn't (laughs) didn't. listen. (laughs) This is this. This is what this is. Yeah. So this is also a fine line. Like if your parents have a lot of debt, then you can kind of say, I guess you can encourage them to minimize it. They probably already know they should be minimizing it. And if they wanted to, they would. (laughs) 
There's definitely oftentimes an idea or opinion that I'm I'm too far gone. It's too late to turn the ship around. Yes. And if you honestly, if you have had this in your life with your finances, think of how many times your parents has had it. So I think the best thing we can do is just to continue like asking those questions and to say like, to honestly just talk about other people, but not in a way that makes your parent feel guilty. Just be like, oh, I was listening to this podcast and they were talking about this and it seemed like a good idea. Like, what do you think? Just really open-ended stuff like that until if you are uh, blessed enough to get to the point where you can have those real, honest, in-depth conversations, then take advantage of that. And you then you have the right to encourage your parents to minimize debt, to maximize income, reduce expenses, all of that. Yeah. But that's a privilege, not a right that you have as a child of a person. Yeah. Not that you are a child. And depending on how much time you have before your parents enter into retirement, we can be chatting about encouraging them to have retirement accounts, whether they already have them and it's, can you up your contributions to them or open them. I mean, I know that there's this kind of concept of it's too late, it's too late, but really something is better than nothing. So if they're still employed, encouraging your parents to open an employer-sponsored plan that that includes contributing to a 401k, a traditional or Roth IRA, health savings account, and after age 50, your parents can accelerate their retirement savings by making co- catch-up contributions, it's not going to make a massive difference if they're that close to retirement, but it still is something. They can be adding more past 50 than they could before 50. So these are important things to be considering. Yeah. And to take advantage of, I mean, be be cognizant of when they're going to take advantage of their government resources. So they, I'm sure that they are already looking into this, but taking out Social Security earlier means you get less per month than if you wait. So this is also something, a conversation you can have with them and just be like, hey, are you planning on taking Social Security now? Are you waiting? What are your thoughts on that? And all of the the other benefits that come with it, too. Yeah. And lastly, maximizing income and reducing expenses. We're all familiar with this concept. And so that's just looking at what are all the different ways to have income and maximize that income when it comes to retirement. You just mentioned that, Jen, with uh, Social Security and when you take that out. It could include considering downsizing, looking at homes and whether or not they're going to sell. Are they going to be relocating to to a different state, whether that's a more retirement-friendly state or relocating into a retirement community? Are they going to consider finding a side hustle in retirement? Depending on how healthy your parents are, that could be um, something worth considering as well. Yeah, we had a Lyft driver in Nashville who was just retired and he just drove for Lyft just to... I think be able to talk to someone. <laughs> no, granted, I, I wanted to get wife, out of that vehicle yeah. as fast as possible. But. I think his wife sent him out of the house. <laughs> yes. um, there wasn't enough room. There was barely enough room for our bags in the trunk of his lift because he had all of his golf clubs yeah. back there. Yeah. So <laughs> all things to consider. <laughs> You know what you don't have to worry about or be ambiguous about? Ooh, ooh. It is it, for sure. It, it's out front. It happens every week. Mm-hmm. We gonna tell you. The, the Bill of the Week! That's right. It's time for the best minute of your entire week. Maybe a baby was born and his name is William. Maybe you paid off your mortgage. Maybe your car died and you're happy to not have to pay that bill anymore. Duck bills, buffalo bills, Bill Clinton. This is the Bill of the Week. 
Hello, Jen and Jill. This is Lisa from the Pop Fashion Podcast, also previous guest on Frugal Friends. And I wanted to share with you my bill of the week. It is my car that I fixed without spending too much money. I uh, recently discovered that the the little nubbin on the top of the car that gets the radio um, fell off the car, took an extended stay at the car wash or something. And I was told that to get it replaced at the dealership, it was going to cost about $275. To buy the part myself for about 20 bucks and get it installed by somebody else, it was going to be another $125. Instead, I watched a YouTube video. I uh, bought the part online for about 20 bucks. I bought some JB Weld, which is a great like epoxy adhesive for about 10 bucks. And I put that sucker back on myself. Okay. There's one radio station where sometimes it mixes in with another country station. So like I get like some rock and some country in the same, uh, it's like a mashup. It's just a mashup. It's a feature, not a bug. But other than that, it works. And I saved myself like 200 bucks. I'm thrilled. That's it. Love you guys. Goodbye. I, I saw the the nubbin. I saw the job she did. And it looks great. You wouldn't know. I actually, when we had lunch together and she told me this, and I was like, Lisa, please call this in as a bill of the week. So I knew what it was going to be <laughs> as soon amazing. as I saw her name. And yeah, it looks great. It's fine. <laughs> the nubbin the that nubbin. gets it's, the radio is it's the my cover takeaway. For the, for the um, yeah, yeah. I mean, Antenna, I know what she's referring but it's not to. Like the, yeah, it's the <laughs> nubbin. The cover for it. I I mostly love that you still care about whether or not your car can get the radio. I didn't know people still listen to the radio. I mean, because, you know, we have a podcast, so I just assume everyone tunes into the Frugal Friends on whatever platform they usually get their podcast on. She listens to every episode because she loves <laughs> no, I don't actually. to rehear all of her wise thoughts. <laughs> that, oh, is <laughs> that is not true. That is not true. We have a, a retraction on that. <laughs> um, but Lisa, this is amazing. You have fixed your car or the nubbin on your car without spending too much money. You really DIY'd this thing. You problem solved it. You said, hey, I could probably do that myself and get a rock mixed with country station all around town. And I honestly don't think that has anything to do with the nubbin because I also had a Hyundai and the radio on it was jank like i think it's just the car i don't think it's the nubbin well if you're out here not listening to podcasts but instead listening to the radio <laughs> and what figuring are you out doing to fix the radio just... and the nubbins all on your vehicles or you've got a regular bill about paying off a bill or saving on a bill, or again, you are bill. Oh, goodness. We've had bill bills, especially. We've had people call in about people named Bill, and you know, those are some of my faves. We have yet Children to have named an actual bill, bill. I don't think we've ever had a person themselves named mm -hmm. Bill call in a bill. We are still oh, that waiting. That'll be the day. That'll be the Still It'll break here. podcasting Maybe. and you'll have to listen to the radio. So hopefully yours works. Visit frugalfriendspodcast.com <laughs> slash bill to leave us your bill. We're here for it. I don't love creating my spending plan each month. And it took me a while to find a budgeting app that had simple features, but didn't feel and look like a spreadsheet. If that's you too, Monarch's the way to go. Monarch is the top rated all-in-one personal finance app. It gives you a comprehensive view of all of your accounts, investments, transactions, and more. Create custom budgets, track progress toward financial goals, and collaborate with your partner. And now get an extended 30-day free trial when you go to monarchmoney.com slash frugal. I like how easy it is to customize my budget and create automatic transaction rules. The transaction widget helps me stay on top of my spending. After using Monarch for several months, I understand why it's the top rated personal finance app. And right now, listeners of this show will get an extended 30-day free trial when you go to monarchmoney.com slash frugal. That's M-O-N-A-R-C-H- 
M-O-N-E-Y.com slash frugal. For your extended 30-day free trial, go to monarchmoney.com slash frugal for an extended 30-day free trial. AI might be the most important new computer technology ever. It's storming every industry and literally billions of dollars are being invested. So buckle up. The problem is that AI needs a lot of speed and processing power. So how do you compete without costs spiraling out of control? It's time to upgrade to the next generation of the cloud. Oracle Cloud Infrastructure, or OCI. OCI is a single platform for your infrastructure, database, application development, and AI needs. OCI has four to eight times the bandwidth of other clouds, offers one consistent price instead of variable regional pricing, and of course, nobody does data better than Oracle. So now you can train your AI models at twice the speed and less than half the cost of other clouds. If you want to do more and spend less like Uber, 8x8, and Databricks Mosaic, take a free test drive of OCI at oracle.com slash strategic. That's oracle.com slash strategic. oracle.com slash strategic. And now it's time for... Yeah, something you won't have to wait 200 episodes for. These sick, dope sound effects. Mm. So, today's lightning round is from Courtesy of Goldie, our podcast manager. Did you know your parents' or family's financial situation when you were growing up? And in what way did that influence you? I plead the fifth. <laughs> this is the vulnerability round, you. <laughs> yeah, you well, can't there's... plead the fifth. There are no there rights. Are... Boundaries to vulnerability. (laughs) (laughs) You get to choose who, when, where, what, and why. There is no protection, only exploitation. I am going to choose my own path and my own ending in this and tell a funny story. Wow. About okay, something that I thought just masking trauma with humor. Really teaching the people way, the way to go. <laughs> so I, okay, I will say this. Yes and no. I had a general awareness of money. I will say oftentimes the thing that was communicated verbally was we don't have money for that. And it, it, I believe it was accurate. I think that there were some really great things that I learned as a result of managing resources and figuring out how to have what you need when you only have a little. There were some really great things that I would not change about some of the ways in which I understood how we manage money and, yeah, make the most of the resources available to us. But because that was often said, like, no, we can't get that. Like, we don't have the money for it. Or we can only get that if we have a coupon. (laughs) My mom and her coops, she had Mm. the whole accordion file. She was an organized woman who who fed us well, other than the lentils and rice, mom. I did not like the lentils and rice. Oh, you don't like lentils and rice? Was it just her lentils and rice? I don't know. She, She says she made it one time and some child said that it tasted like pizza. I know it wasn't me. And then she decided to put it on like a regular rotation. And every single wow. time we'd be like, we don't like this. And she'd be like, you said it tasted like pizza. And I'm what like, you? I think my sister said that one time, but I've never liked it. Anyhow, I, I lived. Wow. I lived to see another day, obviously. <laughs> and I, But I have not Getting had glimpses. lentils and rice in adulthood. But maybe I should try it again. Okay. There was a time when we were at the grocery store, and I remember seeing this often where we would we would be checking out, and in my little little child brain, my mom would say we didn't have money for things, but what I saw was she would swipe her credit card or whatever card, maybe it was a debit card, and then the cashier would give her money back. 
And I was always so confused by this interaction. Like, you're not only are we walking away with groceries, but we're also walking away with money, like cash in hand. (laughs) What is going on here? I'm like, she's like, you don't have money. I'm like, why not use the money that the cashier gives you? Like, it finally got to the point where I act like, where like I said this, like, but they give you money. Like, we walk out with groceries and they give you money. This is a really, I love going to the grocery store. This seems awesome. And I, she probably tried to explain it to me. I don't think I understood it. She's like, no, 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 that's cash back. And I'm like, yeah, (laughs) they're giving you cash back. And it wasn't, I don't know. I don't know when I finally like understood what cash back was, but I know as a child, I thought you go to the grocery store, you get food and you get money. And that That's, was my understanding of finances. Wow. Mm-hmm. That is confusing. Right. If you don't know, because it's not an ATM. It's not a bank. It's a no. grocery store. Yeah. And they're all, and, and then sometimes it confused me when they were when like someone would ask, Do you want cash back? And she would say no. I'd be like elbowing her, like, what do you mean, mom? You just told me you don't have any money. Take the cash. <laughs> Get cash back. <laughs> Oh, that's so good. That is so good. (laughs) Oh, what about you, Jen? So I don't have any like as funny stories. I do remember probably now as an adult, it's funny, but I didn't fully understand it when I was a kid is that my my parents didn't have debt. And I thought that was like a good thing you know it's like okay we we don't have debt and it's because they couldn't get any debt they couldn't take out any loans or get any credit cards because they had really bad credit and so and I don't know how I found that out maybe my grandmother told me I don't know so I asked my mom about it and she's like we don't have bad credit we have slow credit and I have brought that with me. <laughs> I just, it, I don't remember the day that it became funny, but now I bring it with me um, whenever I think about credit. I was like, we just have slow credit. We pay our bills, but it takes us a while. And meanwhile, every weekend we're going to the mall and buying stuff at JCPenney and Bath and Body Works. Oh, remember and, JCPenney? Right. Does JCPenney still exist? Yes, it still oh, exists. Wow. And the right? radio. Wow. My mom, my mom just went to JCPenney the other week and, and got Kai some stuff. Did she listen so. to the radio on her way? Probably, yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, because she definitely doesn't listen to this podcast. Uh, <laughs> so so that was that's probably my funniest like story, which isn't really funny, but I don't we know, don't I, have bad credit, we have slow credit. S- slow credit. Yeah. And that was the first of the many deceitful things she told me about her finances. So she might have thought she was being protective. And Just that's to exactly look at what this it was in a strength-based way. Yes. And that's that was where I was going with this is that I uh, my parents did not talk about money with me because they thought they were protecting me by not saying anything about money. Yet they would fight about money and I would be in the same house and when I would walk in they would say we're not fighting, we're having a discussion. And I was like a very loud discussion. <laughs> so they their thought of how to protect me was to not talk about money at all. Mm-hmm. And I think from as I mean, I was a kid, but I still knew that was a bad idea. So like I went to college and I immediately got a credit card um, because my parents didn't have credit cards. And I was like, well, I need to build credit so I don't have slow credit. I need um, fast credit. I need that fast pace, yeah. high speed credit. And thank God it was just a $500 limit because I maxed that thing out very quickly. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, that was really, I went against my what my parents had done, what I had seen them do with money because they never talked to me about money. And I only got to interpret what I saw and what I saw was negative. And I got a lot more perspective as an adult. And you don't have to be... And and honestly, I did not want full transparency from my parents. That's not what I wanted. And that's honestly... Mm -hmm. 
not always healthy for a child. So yeah. you're not wrong in thinking that if that's you know something you're protecting your children from. But also doing the opposite, just like not talking about it at all. Yeah. Is just as unhealthy as full transparency. Yeah. There is a radical middle. We're only going to let our kids into something if we feel we've got a good grasp on it. Like, Mm -hmm. I'm only going to be able to teach my kid how to read to the extent that I know how to read. Otherwise, Mm -hmm. for sure, I'm going to avoid it. So I, I think the best things parents can do for their kids in this regard is to do well themselves, to rework some of those money narratives, to make wise decisions. And as you feel confident about it, to let your kids in on it. And of course, still some of the vulnerability, right? You don't have to be perfect yet, but it is going to have to begin with you taking steps before you're going to be anywhere close to comfortable in showing your kid the right path. You're not going to be able to do that if you don't have any understanding of it. Absolutely. Anyway, we hope that this episode gave you some tangible, actionable steps. We know this is a difficult journey. There are landmines all over this. So be kind to yourself, be kind to your parents in it. And thanks for listening. Thanks for listening to a podcast instead of the radio today. (laughs) Many of you know, in addition to this podcast, we also have a membership for our listeners who are paying off debt, where we do monthly money challenges and offer accountability groups, which is super important in the the debt payoff journey. And we want to congratulate and highlight one of our members for a big win. This comes from Katie, who recently shared, my husband needed a new credit card. He just called me from the bank. This is a national bank, very well known. They told him debit cards. Oh, sorry, a debit card. Did I say credit card? He needed a new debit card. They told him debit cards are no longer safe and to not only and to only do a credit card. What? He called me and I told him (laughs) debit card only because we've been in credit card debt before. I can't believe that a huge bank is doing this. They even told him he could get a $200 bonus. I don't want to ever be in debt again. I know we can pay it off each month, but trust me, I don't have the discipline to not go crazy. It's behavior and I know I can have a credit card. Can't have a credit. Yeah. Congrats, Christy, for knowing your boundaries, that knowing that it's not the financial product that is the enemy or is evil, but just like knowing your boundaries, identifying them and being confident in them and not letting a big old bank people intimidate you. And good job for your husband for listening to you. (laughs) Yes. Good for him too. Yes. Good job, Christy. Again, thank you all for tuning in. And if you want to check out our membership where we have all the courses, interviews, challenges, then head to frugalfriendspodcast.com slash club. You can just check it out. Just check it out. See if it's something you want to join in on. Mm-hmm. See you next time. Frugal Friends is produced by Eric Siriani. Do you dream of a healthier life, but education feels out of reach? Trinity School of Natural Health makes holistic education accessible with online programs to fit your busy schedule. Trinity School of Natural Health makes holistic education accessible with online programs to fit your busy schedule. Trinity School's Certified Natural Health Professional Program is the perfect entry point to gain foundational knowledge to empower yourself, your family, and your community to live healthier lives. Turn your passion into a career. Visit trinityschool.org for more info now. Right here, right now. Find your beautiful new floor at Right Rug Flooring. Choose from thousands of in-stock styles ready for next day installation and all backed by the right price guarantee. Visit rightrug.com. That's R-I-T-E-R-U-G.com today to schedule a free in-home estimate or to find a location near you. 24-month financing is available with approved credit. For 90 years, we've been right here, right now. Right Rug Flooring.